Morning. It's good to see you guys and glad you guys can be here. Um, we're going to continue in our series, Love Walked Among Us. And so if you guys um, have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 4, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep your hand raised really high. And then one of the ushers will walk down the aisle and get you a copy of God's Word. We want you to have a Bible in your hand. So if you own one but you forgot it because you just forgot that you were going to church, and, um, and you could, you could uh, go ahead and raise your hand and you can get a Bible so that you can follow along uh, with us as well. Um, <clears throat> so I was gone the last two weeks, you guys knew, I was in Africa, um, went to Nigeria, Wakanda, little turnaround trip. Um, I did dip my body in the waters of Wakanda, so uh, I'm going to look like this for the next 40 years. Um, so in all, in, in all honesty, uh, we, we have a church that we support, and we, not just Redemption Tempe, but all of Redemption, we partner with and help support financially um, and provide a, a level of leadership to a church called City Church that is in Lagos, Nigeria, okay? So just give you the context. Lagos, Nigeria is just under about 22 million people um, in the land size of something like, you know, New York City. I mean, so it's more dense than, like, Manhattan, and it is a very unique place and definitely in need of gospel-centered preaching churches. And so uh, Femi is a church planner that's there along with his team. They're there at City Church. And so myself, Dave Goffney, who is a lead pastor at Redemption Tucson, we, uh, we got a chance to be in Lagos for about eight days um, on the ground there in, um, in Africa. And it was a, an experience, to say the least. And so uh, I can't really like describe the context. You actually have to be there. We're a few people here that have been to Lagos that are from Nigeria so that they get it. Um, it's a very difficult place. It really is. And it's not an easy place. I mean, I like to say, if you can make it in Lagos, you can make it anywhere in the world. In fact, I preached there last Sunday and I said that and they started clapping. They were like, he knows. I'm like, I do know. I do know. I've been here for eight days and I'm dying to go back home. So uh, <laughs> I do know. So church is going well. It's definitely grown from the last time since we've been there. Their leadership is great. Uh, if you think about it, City Church in Lagos, um, just continue to pray for them. God's doing incredible, incredible work there. The men and women that are part of that church are um, amazing. It was an incredible experience for me to be able to, to preach at that church and um, just to come be welcomed in by my, my Nigerian brothers and sisters. So that's good. I'm glad you guys care. Look like it. All right. So here's what we're going to... Here's what we're going to do. So we've been in this series, uh, Love Walked Among Us. And so I, I, don't, I can't even remember what week it is. Um, I still am a little bit on jet lag, so I am a little bit tired. And so if I cuss or whatever, it's not my fault. Um, so we, we, we've been in this series looking at how Jesus loves. And what we said about this particular series is we want to be able to slow down and look at the ways in which Christ loves and how he loves uh, the widow we saw in the first story and raises her son, um, how he loves several people. Um, how he's loved, when we see his love, we desire to have the type of love that he has. And one of the things we want to stay away from is that this is not a what would Jesus do and so let me just copycat Jesus. We are followers of Christ, but we want to see is how the gospel creates space in us to have the Spirit lead us in the way that we can love in the ways of Jesus. Now I want to say this, this particular story that we have today, that if you've been around Christianity or you've been around church, you probably heard this text taught before, um, and it's Jesus himself after 40 days of fasting being tempted or tested by Satan in the wilderness. Um, and oftentimes we look at this as like, this is how Jesus battled temptation, and so now here's how you can battle temptation. Um, this is how Jesus did it, he quoted scripture, and so you too, if you can quote scripture, you can battle temptation, and that's actually not the thrust of it. And as we're looking at the lens of love, we wanna be able to see how is it that Jesus displays love in walking through this season of temptation? And then how do we display that same love? 
What we're going to look at is the love that he has is the love that comes from the Father. And so that's what we're going to look at is how is Jesus so um, empowered and, and how does he have such a, a sense of identity and meaning and purpose and it flows from his love from his Father that leads to obedience. And so what I mean by that is our obedience is never something we do in order to get our Father's attention. It's because we already have our Father's attention that we obey. Amen? That's basically the sermon, so we could just bite the band back up and make this happen. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time. God, we thank you, Lord. Um, as it's on our mind, Lord, we do lift up to you City Church and, and the leaders there and just pray that your gospel will continue to come to bear in that church and in that, that city and in the country of Nigeria and all of Africa as well. As, as, um, God, you are clearly at work there in ways that we can learn from and ways in which we can just celebrate. Um, I pray, Lord, even now that as we take our attentions to the scriptures this morning, that not only we, we just read the Bible, but the Bible truly would be able to read us. Father, I, I pray that we would see Christ's love for you um, and his love from you as, as his, you being his father and him being your son and that we'd be able to mimic those things. And so I pray, Lord, that you'd remove me and God, that we would all collectively be able to encounter the love of the Father that flows through obedience and, and Lord, even in our own temptations. Because there's not a man and there's not a woman in this room, Lord, who's not weak and who's not oftentimes tired and sometimes looking for the means, Lord, to be able to fight. And Lord, sometimes we just don't have them. And if we're honest, Lord, it's because we're looking to everything else other than you. And so we pray, Lord, for a longing of your spirit. Jesus, we pray for just a sense of your spirit. And for those of us who've never tasted and seen that we may be able to taste and see that you are always good. And Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, flying back from Africa, we went from um, Nigeria to London with a 10-hour layover in London, and then we had a flight from London back to Phoenix. It was like an 11-hour flight. It was fun. And so I watched one of my favorite all-time movies. It was the only movie that I had downloaded on my phone because um, I was really bummed because like, usually on those flights, they have like, all these movies. Well, then my screen went out, like my screen. Like, no one else's screen went out. I looked over, and I'm like, nobody else's screen is out. And then I looked at Dave, the guy from Tucson, the guy from Tucson, my friend Dave, who's the lead pastor at Redemption Tucson, and I looked at him kind of like waiting for him to go, hey, do you want me to sit in your seat? But he didn't. Uh, <laughs> oh, I got so many stories. I mean, we spend 10 days with one guy like that, and we shared a bed for a long time and everything else, and uh, you're like, what kind of stories do you have? <laughs> Lots of them. So we're... we're I have one movie downloaded on my phone, and it's my favorite, one of my favorite movies, Cinderella Man, right? And if you've never seen The Cinderella Man, slap yourself. So there's, it is, it is one of the more encouraging, inspiring movies, especially for a dude, because this guy, James J. Braddock, he's like this boxer, but more than anything, he loves the heck out of his wife, and he loves his kids, right? And he's like this famous boxer, and then all of a sudden, Great Depression hits, and he doesn't have any money. And there's like this scene where he gets home, and his wife's like, you know, your son stole some meat from the meat store. Because, you know, like back then, you went to the meat store. And, um, and he takes his son, he goes back to the meat store, and he gives, gives the meat back to, to the butcher, and he looks at his son, and he's basically going like, you know, you don't do that. Why did you do that? And he, his son's like in tears. He goes, well, his friend had to get sent away from his family because they couldn't afford to keep him in the house anymore. And what he realizes is his son's just afraid that somehow he's not going to be able to be with his father, right? And he gets on his knee, and he promises him, like, this is never going to happen. And he has this motivation to do whatever he can to keep his family together. 
well, they don't have enough money, and they can't have a heater and so forth, and so the wife sends the kids away, and he's got this, like, passionate, like, furious, like, I have to do whatever it takes because I promised my son that we're always going to be together. And there's just this picture of going, what his son wants most is for him to be with his father, and what his father wants most is from him to be with his children. And there's this beautiful picture where the kid's not going to still meet anymore, um, not because he just wants to be a good kid, because he knows he has the love and presence of his father. When we begin to look at Christ, sometimes we don't look at him as having a father. And so we don't see that what Jesus is able to do in his flesh is not just him saying, I'm this heroic human being, or not even just saying that he's fully God and fully man, but that everything he does, he does because he has the love of his father. We know people like this, that people who have incredible relationships with their parents, and particularly their fathers, there's just a sense of security that they have. There's a, there's a sense of identity that they have. There's like a sense of purpose that they have. Like there's things that they do, and there's things that they don't do, all because of this right relationship that they have with their father. And hear me, I'm, this is not a message to talk about. If you have been a bad dad, now is the time for you to repent. Because the reality of it is none of us can be the father as we see in the scripture. As good as your earthly dad is, or as absent as your earthly dad was or is, like, they were never meant to replace God as a father. So when we want to understand what love looks like, we first have to receive love. We have to understand that the way in which Jesus was propelled into ministry was not just because he was Jesus Christ. He was Jesus Christ, son of the Father, son of God. And that meant something. Even if you can step all the way back, before God even created anything, the one thing that God has been doing, people say, well, God's a creator. That's true because we see it in the scripture. We say he's just, he's a judge. It's true because we see him in the scripture. But before he ever created, and before there was ever even sin for him to be able to judge, there's one thing that God has been doing forever, and that is God has always had a son, and therefore he's always been a father. The thing that he's done the longest is love his son. It is out of the overflow of that love that God creates. And it's out of the passion of that love, in spite of our sin, that God continues to pursue Israel and then ultimately the people of God in the work and through the work of his son, Jesus. So when we step back and we say love walked among us, it's not that just Jesus only shows us the love of the Father, but Jesus himself is the love of the Father that we may receive it. And when we understand that, our obedience and our delight and desires to obey God, they flow from a position of acceptance that we already have, not performance of something we have to gain. So Jesus here in this scene is able to um, fight against temptation because he knows exactly who he is. He knows where he's coming from. He knows what he's called to do. He knows what his purpose is because he's got a great, right relationship with his heavenly father. Amen? And you say, how do you know that? Because the Bible says that. <laughs> if we, before we get into chapter 4 here, the last verse of the previous session, section before this text, Jesus is getting baptized. And Jesus shows up, and John the Baptist has been baptizing everybody, and then Jesus walks up, and he's like, what? Like, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's like, it's Jesus, everybody. 
And he goes, well, can you baptize me? And he goes, I can't baptize you. And John's like, I'm not even fit to uh, stoop down and unlace your Jordans. Like, I can't even, I can't baptize you. And he's like, I need to be baptized. So he baptizes Jesus. And there's this moment where we have the Trinity present, where you have the Spirit descending like a dove. You have the Son that's being baptized. And then God the Father speaks so that everybody hears. And he says this in verse 17 of chapter, chapter 3. He says, behold, the voice from heaven uh, said, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Right? There's this affirmation before Jesus begins his ministry, before Jesus casts out a demon, before Jesus heals anybody, before Jesus even calls his disciples, he gets this affirmation that God wants everybody, this is my son and who I'm well pleased. And when you think about who you're well pleased with, it's usually something that somebody has accomplished. Up until this moment, Jesus hasn't accomplished anything. And the father doesn't need to love his son because of his accomplishments. He gets to love him because he loves him. And in the same way that our Father, through Christ, loves us because he loves us. Not because of anything we can do, right? This is, this is and you've heard me say this, this is the dad at the soccer game, and he's yelling it, that's my son, number seven. He's not even in the game. I know, but that's my son, right? Like, he's excited not because his son is scoring all the goals. He's excited because he's his son. Jesus starts his whole life and ministry with that affirmation of understanding what it looks like to have love walk amongst us is to be able to come from, to receive, to be saturated in the love of the Father. And so Jesus now, verse, verse 1, chapter 4, here's what we have. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That is like the statement of the year, right? After not eating for 40 days, oh, we better put this one here, he was hungry, just in case the people didn't know. <laughs> um, so Jesus is hungry. And it says, the tempter came and he said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so here's the scene here is Jesus is led by the spirit, it says, and he's entering into the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan. Now, that word tempted is also the word tested. And so in some sense, he's being tested for his ministry, but he's also being tempted. And his temptations, we'll see, there's three different temptations that the enemy uh, tries to bring upon Jesus. Um, what we also have to see is Jesus is not only just being tempted, or he's just fasting just to fast because, you know, Lent's approaching or something like that, right? One, he's fulfilling Israel's story. And there's a parallel here that you have, but Jesus is 40 days and Israel's 40 years in the wilderness. That if you, when you understand and you know the biblical story, you know that the people of God were in the wilderness for 40 years. And that when they had their own temptations, they failed every single one. But Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel's story and ultimately fulfillment of the story of the world. And so what we see in this parallel is Jesus is beginning to fulfill the areas and ways in which Israel failed. Jesus is actually able to succeed. And so the test that they missed, Jesus is actually able to complete ultimately and give the victory to those who would believe and trust and follow him. And so the first temptation that it has is Satan comes to him and he says, if you are the son of God. And I don't think he's questioning because Jesus knows that he's the son of God. He's saying, it's almost like since you are the son of God, like since you have, you know, all authority in heaven that's going to be given to you, like since you are the son of God and you're hungry, because like, duh, it's been 40 days, you haven't eaten anything, then why don't you take these stones and turn them to bread? Now, at first glance, what's wrong with doing that? Like, if you or I were hungry and we had the ability to turn stone into bread, I think we would do it. I don't think anybody's going, hey, I'm hungry. Hey, listen, you better not sin and eat right now, right? Like, that's, like, what's the big issue here? Like, why can't Jesus eat? 
Well, one, he, like I said, he's trying to fulfill what Israel failed in. And what the enemy is trying to get Jesus to do is to use his privilege in such a way to escape the pain and suffering. One of the things we got to understand is Jesus chooses suffering ultimately because he chooses to be human. We cannot live in a world as human beings without experiencing some form of pain and some form of suffering. We believe that the best way is to escape it all, and that's the best way to live, when oftentimes we don't have an option but to be able to submit to the power and the presence of the Lord and experience that sort of suffering, whatever that suffering, whatever that pain may be, because it's making us most like Christ. And this way, Christ is showing us that he's actually most like us, that he's actually human here, that he actually suspends, ultimately, he doesn't use his privilege for his own gain. And oftentimes when we begin to say that word privilege, it, it, it invokes something in people where they, they have a sense of guilt if they have privilege. Here's the reality. Privilege is another form of God's common grace. It's a gift that God gives us. Whatever your particular privilege may be, and just like a gift that God gives us in his grace, it's not to fall in on ourselves. It's to fall back to him to reflect, to worship, and it's to be used in such a way to be able to make the most of God and make the most of others. But when we begin to use our privilege in a way to make the most of ourselves only, that becomes selfish. And so the enemy right now is in Jesus is saying, how about you use your privilege as being God's son and having the ability to actually end all this? That would be great. And then Jesus begins to respond with scripture. So look at me here in verse 4. It says, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Um, here's what he's doing. Je- Jesus is not just quoting, Jesus is not like, listen, I went to Awanas growing up, I learned all these scriptures, and so, like, here's, here, here's what's happening. Jesus understands the narrative that he's a part of, and that narrative is the same narrative of you and I who are in Christ, we're a part of. So he's quoting not just any scripture, like, this is the same text as when you look at in De- Deuteronomy, particularly chapter 8, when God's people were grumbling against God, and they were grumbling against Moses that they had just been rescued, freed from the hands of slavery out of Egypt, and then now they're going, why did you take us from here? Moses, what are you doing? We're starving. And then God provided, and he provided manna for them. But he was trying to let them know that there's far more to this world and this life than food. And it's not that there was this dualism where like the material things don't really matter, only the spiritual things matter. That's not it at all. But he's saying that there's deeper meaning here than just to eat that ultimately there are certain cravings which we had that can be temporarily satisfied by food, but there's a deeper craving, a deeper longing of existential existence and meaning and purpose that cannot be satisfied by bread, but can only be satisfied by God himself. Jesus is not doing this, because I've heard this message and you've heard it. Usually these, these messages on this particular text are, you see how Jesus quoted scripture, now you need to quote scripture. You know what? Sometimes we can quote scripture and fall in temptation again and again and again. Here's why. Hear me on this. The Bible does not save us. The Bible reveals to us the one who does. We need it. We need it. We need the Bible because it points to us the one who can only satisfy our deepest longings. And so we do need the word of God. We do need to be exposed to the word of God. It has to be the very thing that shapes us that we realize we cannot live on the temporal things that satisfy us only temporary. We have to be able to live on the very thing that satisfies us for all eternity. And that's none other than God himself and his love. Amen? So Jesus is not just pulling this stuff out anywhere. He's going, no, 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 no. You don't understand, Satan. I got bigger and better plans. My father speaks and I live off what he says. And that means he actually knows 
what he says. And so that's strike one for Satan. Jesus winds up down the middle, right? So you have this. Next, the next scene, it says this, because the devil doesn't stop here. He says, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot, your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you should not put the Lord your God to test. And so Jesus understands the love that he's from, and Satan comes and tries to tempt him, tempt him again. And here's, here's the thing. I didn't, I didn't mention this, but here's the thing about temptation. Jesus is in the best place to be tempted. Not because of his wilderness, it's because he's tired and he's hungry, right? We all know whatever our weak moments and whatever our weak spots are. Everyone here. There's, no, there's nobody here. If you say, I don't have any weak spots. Okay, here's your weak spot. You're a liar, okay? <laughs> You're not aware of yourself, okay? Um, especially hungry and especially tired. How oftentimes have you got in an argument with somebody? Let's just say hypothetically your wife. And, <laughs> and it's late at night and you start the argument. And let's just say she says, hey, let's not do this right now. We're tired. And you say, no, you know, we don't want the sun go down. You, you, you quote scripture. Um, and, you know, we got to deal with this. And how often do you say a bunch of things in that moment and then later, you finally go to bed, you get rested, and you wake up, and you're like, uh-oh, right? <laughs> Let's just say hypothetically that happens to some people, right? <laughs> there's something about being tired and being hungry that you're not yourself, and you're tempted, and there's, everybody has their vices, whatever it is, whatever it is. If you're going to fall, where are you going to fall in? And listen, that's everybody. Like, nobody's exempt. And so Jesus is in a place where he's tempted. First it's food, and now there's this sense of, like, you got to imagine being Jesus right now. Like, you're Jesus. You know what you're here for. You're here to save the world. Like, you're here for everybody to know that you're the Messiah. And so Satan comes to him and says, okay, well, how about we do this, okay? I got, like, Satan comes to him like, uh, like, like he's going to be on Jesus' side, right? Like, just so you know, the way the enemy works, it doesn't work like horror films where you're like, you notice that's dangerous, that's scary, I'm getting out of here. Nah, it's tempting. It looks very good. It looks exactly what you want. It looks like the best thing. It's right before you. And so Jesus, he comes and goes, Jesus, you're the Messiah. And here, here's the deal. I'm going to come on your side. I'm going to be a part of your campaign team, right? Jesus 2020. And, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hook you up. I'm going to do all the marketing for you. And, and, and you know, I'm going to do the advertising for you. And I got some things. Listen, here's the thing you need to understand, Jesus, about Jewish people. They want to see something big. And so how about we do this? Here's how we're going we're gonna to do the inauguration. Here's how we're going to let this happen. Okay, first we're going to get a campaign on Instagram. We're going to get things going. Um, okay, we're going to get you an interview with Ellen. We're going to also get you, We got this. And then we want to put you on the top of this, this mountain, essentially. And you're going to throw yourself down. And like it says in Scripture, God's going to catch you. And then when everybody sees God catches you, boom, the Messiah's here. What do you think, Jesus? Like, that's what it is. Now, what Satan does here is he misquotes Scripture, um, and he's trying to get Jesus ultimately to manipulate God, to force God's hand on God's timing. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Again, like, why, why can't? Like God, God can do anything, so how come he doesn't jump in? And how can God save him? Then everybody would know. We somehow think the miracles are actually the things that drew people to Jesus. The miracles were Jesus showing everybody that the kingdom of God was here and what the world would be like once he removed sin. The miracles weren't to prove. The miracles weren't to say, okay, now I'm God, okay? So this is, this is now my campaign. 
It's like this. It's a manipulation. Here, here's, here's the way. Some of you guys might get this because you were a kid, and some of you guys may get this because you have kids. Is kids, kids, um, kids manipulate, right? And here's how kids do. You've probably done this before, too, but here's how kids would do it. And my kids do this. I, I, I almost lose my lunch. They wait till their friends are around, and they go, hey, Dad, can Baylor come over and spend the night? And they put you in the position to go, no, I don't want Baylor at my house because I don't like him, right? And so you're, you're, you, you're, you're almost like, yeah, 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 he can, he can spend the night, but when he leaves, just wait what's about to happen to you, right? They, like, they manipulated so you put you in a position where you can't say no. I was in a small group at one point, not in this church, and nobody that goes to this church, I'm trying to figure it out how it is, but it was, we were all single at the time, and this guy, instead of just asking a girl out or asking friends to hang out, he would do this manipulation thing, okay? And if this is you, stop it now, okay? Um, hey, so Ricardo, what are, you, what are you doing? Oh, I'm not doing anything. Oh, so that means you can come hang out with me? Oh, I mean, yeah. Now that you, yeah, right? Or, oh, you probably are going to go hang out with your cool friends, so I probably can't hang out with you. And you know what I want to send them? Yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> and then it got bad. So they're like, hey, it's, it's a, I'm not going to mention the girl's name because there might be a girl in here with that name, but let's say the girl's name is, Girl's name. And he says, girl's name, hey, what are you doing after a group tonight? Oh, nothing. Oh, so you're free to go to get coffee with me? See? <laughs> Some dude in here now is going like, oh, shoot. <laughs> um, it's manipulation. It's trying to force somebody's hand in which they don't want to. And that's not, that's not what Jesus does. That's not what Jesus is supposed to do. And he's tempting, he's being tempted here because the desire is to be become the Messiah and go ahead and heal the world. But remember, he's loved by his father. And so he knows that he can wait patiently on his father. He knows that his time has not yet come. And so the first one, he could say no to the bread and now he can just say, no, never. I'm not gonna do what my father does not want me to do. I'm not gonna put my father to test because of something that I want in this moment. But there's a, there's a way in which love says, I will submit unto the love of my Father because I trust that he knows what's good, what's right, what's true, and what's beautiful, and what's the best time for all of those things. So Jesus says this again, and he quotes scripture here, um, continuing here in verse 6, and he says, he said to him, if you, the Son of God, throw yourself down as written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord the Lord your God, to the test. Now, if you say, should we not rely on the Lord? No, no. Putting the Lord to the test is going, God, if you don't do this, people won't believe in you. There's another way of this, of, of throwing yourself out and faith towards the Lord that shows your trust for him. And again, illustration of kids. When our youngest, who, um, who I love, just like I love the oldest, um, is we're teaching them to swim, and we weren't really teaching them to swim yet, we were just teaching them to jump in the pool. And you guys, you guys have done this before, right? You're in the pool, and you're like, jump, jump. No, I don't want to jump. I don't want to jump. It's like, jump. I got you, buddy. I'm here. Jump, jump, jump. So then he start jumping in, right? And then I would catch him. And then I'd go a little further back, jump in, and I'd catch him. And, you know, you, you, know, you jump in, and like, <clears throat> and the kid comes up, and they're trying to do the little doggy pedal thing. Like, I'll catch you. Well, then he, we did this over and over again that it was great. Well, then we're done swimming, or I'm not paying attention, which I should. And all of a sudden, I hear, and I'm in the pool, and Eli's in there swimming. I'm like, oh! 
And I go and I'm thinking, oh my goodness. And you know, you're a parent, you're freaking out. And I get him from me at the water and I'm like, buddy, are you okay? And he's smiling. He's like got snot bubbling out of his nose. And I'm like, are you okay? Yeah. I'm like, what are you jumping in the pool? He goes, because you, you're, you're going to catch me, right? There is a sense where you've done this over and over again. Why can't I? Of course I'm going to trust you. When Jesus understands that he can say no to temptation, he can say no to Satan outside of God's timing and yet still be able to trust the Father because for all eternity, he's seen his Father come through again and again and again and again and again. And showing us that when we become followers of Christ, we receive that same ability by the Spirit to be able to trust our Father because he always shows up when he's supposed to show up on his time. We used to sing this song in the church I grew up in. He's like, on time, God. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. Like, it's not always our timing, and yet we exercise our love and our trust and faith in him by jumping out going, God, we know that you're going to ultimately save us. Not put him in the test, but doing the very things and trusting him that he said he would do, and that is provide for us. Amen? Amen. So Jesus is showing this love, and then that strike two on Satan, finally, the last one. And you can tell Jesus is getting annoyed now because, remember, he's hungry. It's been 40 days. He hasn't eaten anything. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only, um, and, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil, devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. I love this. Look at this in Jesus, verse 10. He said, and Jesus said to him, be gone. Like, Jesus is like, bye, boy, right? Like, there's this, like there is this, this moment here where he's like, we're done here. So you have the last temptation of what Satan is doing is here is he's offering Jesus all of the kingdoms. He says, he's all the kingdom of the world, all of their glory, all of their beauty. You can have them. Just worship me. Um, Jesus knows this is not one to say no to. It's not yet. Meaning he knows he's going to have all the kingdoms. In fact, just verses after there, he's going to go establish his ministry and say the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. He knows that this is his. But what Satan is trying to tell him is there's an ease and there's a comfort that you can have if you actually can have the kingdom without the cross. And I think for us, when it comes to our biggest temptations, and especially who we are and our culture and our context is, we choose comfort every time. We choose the comfort over the cross every time. And a lot of it is because that's the cultural narrative that we live in. I was, I was listening to, there's a guy who's in Australia, his name is Mark Sayers, um, I was listening to him talk about something, and it made a lot of sense to me of why we would rather choose whatever it is that Satan has in front of us. Because we would rather choose uh, what I would call like a synchristic or a um, um, like a medium ground of being Christian and yet still having all the things in the world that we want, as opposed to following Jesus come what may. And what he talks about is this. There's kind of three big things that you, that you need, and that is you need freedom, um, you need purpose, and, you, and you, you, need, you need meaning, essentially relationships and friendships. And he talks about there's relationships, there's friendships that you have, and there's different levels you can have. You can have that from you're at a soccer game and everybody's rooting for the same team to like a, a, a spouse or a really deep, intimate friend that you have. He goes, and then you have purpose and meaning and so forth. And then you have freedoms. And he's talking particularly about people in America and Western culture. He goes, we have, like, our freedom reservoir, if you can think about, like, the reserves, our freedom reserves are, like, overfilling. Like, we have more options than we can even imagine. Like, we can choose, how, like, 
a bunch of different colors of ice creams you want, what kind of clothes you want. I mean, in our culture, you could choose your gender. You can, you can choose so much. And what he talks about this is the whole idea is the more freedoms you have, the less limits you have. And nobody wants to put limits on themselves. We don't want limitations because that feels like it's actually impeding upon our, our freedom, which, by the way, is a cultural narrative of us as Americans. It's just a fact. And so what he talks about is now, as we have all of this freedom, what we see in the West is people are having less and less meaning and purpose. Like they don't know who they are or what they're here for. And he talks about this. He goes, actually, there's a way in which you can have too, many, too much freedom that actually begins to minimize your purpose and your meaning. And the only way to actually increase your meaning and your purpose is to limit your freedoms. And if you think about it, that's what a commitment to anything is. That binding commitments are not just something that's a shackle on us that actually takes away our freedom. It actually gives us more freedom for the things that we truly love because that gives us our purpose. When a woman says, I do to a man, and likewise, they say, I don't to everybody else. And that actually increases the freedom and the value and the purpose that they have in that relationship of love. That when you commit to something or commit to someone, you're not committing to everything else, and it makes you more free and more present to have a pursuit of that particular person and thing. But there's going to be suffering and there's going to be pain, but it's only going to make it even more worth it. Everything right now says, as soon as it gets hard, get out. As soon as it's difficult, bail. Because there's another way, there's something else down the street, there's another consumer item, there's another church, there's another man, there's another woman, there's another school, there's another job, there's always something else out there that we don't even know what the heck we're living for anymore. Jesus knows there's actually only one way for him to receive the kingdom. And that is the way of the cross. And it's never buying down to the idols of the culture. It's never submitting to the narrative of the culture. It's ultimately following the very one in whom he's been with forever. Jesus is able to say no from stone to bread, no from throwing himself down, no from worshiping the, the enemy to get ultimately what he knows he's going to have from the Father because he actually has an understanding of delayed gratification that we don't. And I don't. And you don't. And that can only be found as we find ourselves being followers of Jesus Christ as opposed to being followers of our cultural norms and our cultural ways. And what's so difficult is many of us, we don't even know if we are following the culture because we find ourselves so immersed in that story that we don't actually know the story that Jesus is talking about here. The one that says that you can only worship God and God alone. And if we're honest, it's because the most of our time spent on centering ourselves around that story is the hour and 22 minutes we get on a Sunday in which we worship together. And maybe the pockets of time that we spend with Jesus throughout the week. And if we're being shaped by so many other things in our culture every day, we might actually be finding ourselves worshiping down to the idols of our culture far more than we find ourselves worshiping God. And that means something. It really does. It means something to my life and it means something to your life. So while we will say cognitively and even profess to be followers of Christ, our actions, our habits, sometimes even shown in our anxieties, show that we are far more bowing down to the empire that is in the world than the kingdom that is breaking in in Christ Jesus. Amen? Je- Jesus is, 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 is telling Satan, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And this whole thing, um, why I, I have a problem with when this is taught going, here's the ways that you can follow Jesus, is because, listen, all of us, many of us, we, we might have some scripture memorization. And we've all fallen again and again to sin. And the way, that, and you're going to do it again. 
But the way that we begin to relate to the Father is we don't relate to him as one who has already loved us. Sometimes our obedience is to show God that we love him. And sometimes we think our obedience is a way to get, the, to get God to love us more. And that is not the way of Christ. That's not the way that love walked amongst us. Jesus already has his acceptance and his identity from the Lord, and that's not something he did anything to gain. And he now gives it to us. So Jesus is not saying, or the, the writer of this gospel, Matthew, is not writing this saying, here's the blueprint and how you can build your house of how to fight temptation. Like, here, here's the blueprint. It's like, no, 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 he's saying in Christ, here's the actual house. It's already finished. It's his victory that he's giving to you. He's not saying, here's the way now that you can battle, and if you just quote enough scripture, then you too will be victorious. It's like, no, you won't be victorious unless you actually receive the victory that's yours in Christ Jesus. But he's not saying Jesus is the sample. Let's look at him. He's saying, no, Jesus is a savior. Let's follow him and worship him. That he's not just someone that for us to just, just, he's not just an example, he's redeemer. And that makes all the difference in the world. It's, 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 it's the picture of this. When you have obedience apart from a father who loves you, you're the kid who's on the field who every time you make a mistake, you're looking over to your coach to see if he's going to take you out of the game. Because you're not really loving the game. You're trying not to make a mistake. You're trying not to sin. You're trying not to fail. And when you understand that you have the absolute supreme love of the father, you are learning to play the game. And when you fail, you're looking at the father not because it's disapproval, because you know you need his approval. The reason, the reason why you failed in the first place is because you were living out of something that wasn't true. We repent to the truth to understand who we are, how we're loved, and how that love actually affects and changes our life, that we can look to our sinful nature and temptation and the enemy and say no to the things of this world that we may say yes to the things of God. Amen? I was hoping that you guys were going to clap today because they were clapping in Africa. Uh, <laughs> no. Nah. <laughs> in all honesty, um, our confession here is not that just we fell in our sin, because we do need to confess that. Like, we are sinners, and we fall, and we are tempted, and we fall in that. Our confession here is that we actually don't receive the love of Christ. We actually find ourselves too much trying to earn it. Like, right? Jesus has come to give us rest. And rest comes in receiving the love that God has given us. And once we receive that love, our obedience flows out of who we are. The story in which we are a part of, right? Where God has taken human history. Um, and how it's all connected in our worship and Jesus. Amen? Let me leave you just a couple of things here um, before we close. And that is, um, if we don't have consistent like, habits that remind us of our identity in Jesus we're going to find ourselves drifting towards far more, not just temptation, but failure and temptation. Meaning, um, I said it earlier, the Bible doesn't save us, but the Bible reveals the one who does. And since the Bible does reveal to us the one who does, we got to spend a lot of time in the Bible. Not just so we could be Bible people, so that we can remind ourselves of the identity and the story that we live out of. That happens as we read it, and not just ourselves, we read it with others. That we confess sin with each other, that we encourage each other because everything else outside of the covenant community of Christ followers is not going to remind us of who we are in God and who we are in Christ. It will look similar. It will look like the kingdom, but it will get rid of the king. It will look like the kingdom, but not the way of the cross, but it will be the way of comfort. 
for us to actually limit ourselves to be able to have true freedom and meaning means to align ourselves under the presence and the fullness and the love of the Father with others as we eat bread and as we drink wine and remember that God's kingdom is breaking in in the work of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you, Lord, that, um, that you provided a means within temptation. And the, the way out is not a way of escape, but it's the way of the cross, and it's the power of the empty tomb and the spirit of Jesus that is with us. That your word says that you've taken the love of the Father by the spirit, that you poured it in our hearts, and that now we could be compelled by this love, Lord, to, to follow you and to trust in your ways, to see how you provide, and to see that whatever sin offers, God, that you offer more because you offer yourself. So we pray that our affections and our desires and our loves will be raised fully in the presence of Christ, that obedience, Lord, and what you do call for us, Lord, that obedience would flow out of acceptance and out of approval and out of the love that you give us, Lord, namely in the blood, death, and the resurrection, the ascension and the sending of the Spirit of your Son, Jesus, God. As he has walked among us in his love and he's shown us and revealed us who you are, Help us to follow him faithfully, collectively, in community in this city, God. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We got opportunity to respond to God's word and respond to what Lord, the Lord is doing. And um, in just a moment, one of the guys would come lead us in a time of response. Before we do that, if you would just sit and listen to the Spirit and just ask the Lord to reveal to you his love for you and then areas in which you're not living in that love and that you may be able to confess it as sin and then repent and receive the acceptance and love that you have in Jesus.